0: I'm gonna read this passage of scripture on, on the, the birth of Jesus out of Luke chapter one, verse 26. You're welcome to follow along with me or you can look at it in your Bible or on the screen there. But it says, now on the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed, that word is important, you should underline that in your Bible, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give you, uh, excuse me, give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her the holy spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you therefore also the holy one who is uh, excuse me therefore also the holy one who is to be born will be called the son of god now indeed elizabeth your relative who has also conceived a son in her old age and this is now the 6th month for her who is called barren for with god nothing will be impossible I love that, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. I wanna talk to you this morning about the miracle, the wonder of his birth. The wonder of his birth. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your word. It's a lamp and it's a light. Let everything that Joey says fall to the ground and every word from you come forth with power to change us forever and forever. In Jesus' name and all God's men and women said, Amen. Turn to your neighbor on the left and say, you're good looking. Turn to the one on the right and said you're even better looking. And go ahead and sit down. Would you give the worship team one more round of applause this morning? Thank you so much for coming. Now, I want you to think about something. I'm gonna gonna share with you a a joke. This joke was given to me by a woman, so don't be offended by it, but according to the Alaskan Department of Fish and Game, while both male and female reindeer grow antlers in the summer each year, male reindeers lose their antlers at the beginning of each winter, usually late November or mid-December. Female reindeer, however, retain their antlers until after they give birth in the spring. Therefore, according to every historical rendition depicting Santa's reindeer, every single one of them, from Rudolph to Blitzen, had to be a girl. We should have known it. Only a woman would be able to drag a fat man in a red suit all around the world in one night and not get lost. (laughs) That was given to me by a woman. So is it truly the wonder of this time of year? Absolutely, because what we're doing this year, we're celebrating something miraculous that happened. We're not celebrating pageants, parties, and programs. We're celebrating the birth of the Virgin in Bethlehem's manger. We're celebrating God, Emmanuel, invading the planet. He's coming to this earth, not because he needed us, but because we needed him. So I want to do some teaching this morning for the first part of the message. I'll gear it up, and then we'll get a little wild and wryly in the house because I don't want you to sit there stagnant and not moving. I think somebody should immediately, when I start preaching under that anointing, get up and start running. I don't know where you're going, but you need to start running. I don't know what you're going to run into, but run into a wall, and if you're in the Holy Spirit, you won't even feel it. I'm teasing, but I want to talk to you this important thought about the virgin birth because it's being viciously attacked this time of year. And every year when we get to this season, they attack the validity, they attack the Bible, they attack the Word of God. So let me give you an explanation of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. It's important by explaining the difference between the virgin birth and the immaculate conception. Many people say, "Well, I believe in the virgin birth." And then when they explain it, it comes out like the Immaculate Conception. And there are two different things from the scriptures. The Bible teaches the virgin birth, not the Immaculate Conception. The Immaculate Conception teaches this, that Mary gave birth to Jesus and that her blood was his blood. Mary was related to Adam. And the scriptures say, by one man, Adam, did sin enter in through the world. That's why the scriptures call Jesus the second Adam, the man that was without spot and without wrinkle, without sin. By one man, Adam, did sin enter into the world. That meant if Mary's blood was in Jesus' veins, he could not be the savior of the world because his blood would have been contaminated, contaminated with the sin of his mother. Mary, though holy, and morally pure, needed a savior herself. How do we know that? Because in Acts chapter one, they give us a description of who's going to that upper room. In that upper room, there are 120. The reason there's 120 in the upper room, because there are 12 tribes of Israel. And if to have an official prayer meeting, you need 10 to come as an official prayer meeting that would be kosher. 10 times 12 is what? 120. So there are 12 tribes of Israel represented in that upper room. But in Acts chapter one, we hear a distinct person that's coming to that upper room and her name is Mary and she is the mother the scriptures tell us of Jesus so not only does Mary need a savior like everybody else but she also needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit like everybody else because until the time of the cross you could be around the prophet of God you could see Elijah call fire from heaven you can be around the prophets in the ministry of Jesus when you saw him walk on this earth if you had the privilege to watch him do miracles you can be around him but only until we get into the upper room do you and I have the biblical right to say greater is he that's within me than he that's within the world because now the Holy Spirit lives within us aren't you glad that God now lives within us Emmanuel came to this earth not to come and keep it all to himself he came to give gifts to men to give you the power of the Holy Spirit does anybody thankful for the Holy Spirit today? so that's important Meaning some, that means something significant, that the blood of Jesus Christ came directly from God and the embryo planted in the body of Mary. That's important because that's what you call a surrogate. Recently, Jennifer and I and our girls, we have two of them. We were summoned to a house of a church member who wanted us to dedicate their children. She had three children. Two of them were twins. And as we went to the house, I didn't know it at the time, but we went to the house and mom was there, the twins were there, and the older daughter was there. But there was somebody else there, the surrogate mom, the surrogate who gave the the, the nine months in the womb to those two twins. What was interesting about the surrogate, because I've never in person have talked and seen that before, but the surrogate was a different nationality. Different ethnicity, different colored skin than the mom and the two twins that we had dedicated to the Lord that day. What's the point? That's what you're seeing with Jesus. The 21st century gives us a glimpse of the supernatural things that are happening. Thousands of years ago, that was unheard of, but now because of modern medicine, all wisdom comes from God, don't you know? Now because of modern medicine, we get a glimpse, meaning that the blood of Jesus Christ came directly from God in the embryo planted in the body of Mary. Mary's body was the host, but the blood was from God himself. That's a drop the mic moment. This mic's too expensive. I'm not dropping it, but you get the point of what I'm trying to say. God is, Mary is the host, but the blood comes from God himself. That's why the scriptures tell us that God's blood, Jesus's blood is precious blood. That's why the scriptures call that blood sinless blood. That's why that blood is miraculous blood. It's the blood of the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. It's the blood that removes every form of stain and shame and authority that the enemy tries to put upon you. The blood moves it down to nothing. It's the blood that when you come before the lo- the throne room, it gives you grace. It gives you mercy. It's the blood that makes demons tremble at the mention of his name. It's the blood that makes Satan run for cover. It's the blood that conquers sickness and disease. It's the blood that conquers diabetes, heart disease, cancer, anything that would try to come against you. Nothing but the blood. Jesus said, this is my blood that is shed for many. It's the blood that gives the communion cup its power. What can wash away? my sin nothing but the blood of Jesus what can make me whole again nothing but the blood of Jesus oh precious is the flow no other fount I know nothing but the blood of Jesus can I get a witness this morning if you're thankful for the blood now you say well Joey that's good and everything but what Bible evidence is there that the birth of Jesus Christ was a miracle birth born of a virgin Because this time of year, you have these so-called theologians, these people that think they know more than the rest of us, that walk around, they go on TV, they go on the Internet, they start posting stuff, attacking the Word of God, attacking the virgin birth. They become more enamored with their own message rather than God's message. So to establish truth in any controversy, the best source of, of truth concerning the virgin birth would have to be an eyewitness account of the people that were there. That's important because if you're going to if you're going to combat a lie, you've got to go to the source of the truth. And the best way you deal with truth is dealing with the person who was an eyewitness of it, dealing with somebody who was actually there. When you go to court and you testify, how many of you have ever been to court before? Don't. How many of you have been locked up before? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> but if you ever go to court. And you, and you get up there on the stand and you start to testify. They put you on the stand and they begin to question you or interrogate you. Now, I, I know that this is not proper for a pastor, but I was a two-time felon before I was 18. I was in and out of youth uh, jail. I was in uh, youth prison, what they call uh, like a CYA. It's, a, it's a, you know, where you go up to 25, but I was a teenager. And so I got arrested a lot when I was a a teenager. I got in trouble a lot, and I I got arrested a lot. But I was a big kid. I mean, I was a big guy. I was a guy that used to be a bouncer in the bars there in the Sacramento area, in the the Bay Area. I mean, I was big. And these bars that I was in as a bouncer, they were tough places. I'd be the guy at the door, the big guy, the big bouncer at the door. Before I was 18, I was the bouncer in the bar. And I'm telling you, I'd, I'd frisk you down. And these places were tough. If you didn't have a weapon, I'd give you one. I mean, these were tough. And in these places, you know, I was, I was intimidated looking on the outside. So being in youth in juvenile hall as a bigger kid, I'll never forget one day. I'm in, I'm incarcerated. I'm coming before the judge there in Sacramento. And I've got my jumpsuit on, I'm handcuffed front to back down, and I come in handcuffed. And they begin to talk about my charges and talk about everything I'm doing. And as they talked about my charges they said, Do you have anything to say, Mr. Stillman? And I said, I'm innocent. I'm innocent, and all the courtroom began to chuckle and laugh. I said, I'm innocent, I didn't do anything, but what was interesting of that is because the way I looked and because of my testimony, they didn't think I was solid in my testimony because of the way I looked, that I wasn't a good eyewitness of what happened. Now, I want you to think about something this morning. I want you to think about getting on the stand and becoming an eyewitness, because if some of you are on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If some of you were on trial right now and the, and the lawyer put you on the stand and the judge said, raise your right hand and you began to testify, what would you testify? That's important to know because some of you need to be an eyewitness of his majesty, an eyewitness of the goodness of the Lord, an eyewitness of what God has done. I want you to think about that for a moment because He doesn't want to hear from when the judge gets you up there and the lawyer starts interrogating you. He doesn't want to hear about what Auntie Renee told Uncle Junebug and now you're relaying what Auntie Renee told Uncle Junebug. They want to hear from you because you are an eyewitness to what you saw. Now, I think about that a lot because you and I need to become eyewitnesses of God's grace and God's goodness. He wants to know what we saw. He wants to know what we believe. People are looking for answers this time of year. They're looking for us for the truth this time of year. He wants to know because we're eyewitnesses of what God has done in our life. You know, it's amazing to me, however, that people born in the 1970s and 1980s and 1990s know more about what happened in Bethlehem's manger and about the virgin birth than the people who are actually there. For a moment, let's look at some eyewitness accounts. Luke's account, Luke one twenty-seven, clearly states that there was a Mary that was a spouse to a man by the name of Joseph. Matthew's account in the Synoptic Gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In Matthew chapter 18, it says that Mary was a spouse to Joseph before they came together. That means sexually. And she was found to be with child from the Holy Ghost. Both of these accounts state, listen closely, lean into what I'm sharing, Both of these accounts state something, that Mary and Joseph were betrothed. Some of you have never heard that word before. You don't know what that word means. But it's a Jewish tradition and a custom that is even practiced to this day. What is it? It's when two Hebrew young people want to get married. They come together with their parents. And both of their parents, the boy's parents and the girl's parents, they come together with the couple that wants to hook up, and they write out a contract together, a contract about what's going to happen. It's a binding contract for one year. It's a contract that's binding for one year. The couples come together. It's a binding contract for one year. They could see each other, the boy and the girl. You know, they want to they you know, have a relationship. They want to take it further and get married. They can see each other, but they can never see each other alone. Oh, some of you are not parents. You, don't, you should give me a big amen to that, parents, if you have teenagers. That means there's no shacking up. There's no, hey, I'm going gonna, gonna to hook up with you, and, and we're going to see how it works. You come into my apartment, and we're going to all hook up together. No, no, you're not taking the milk until you buy the cow. Some of you ladies are giving it up way too easy, way too easy. Why would he want to purchase something that he's getting for free? And some of you dudes be messing around with women. And you, the Bible says her lips, reduce, they, they, they drip like honey and they'll reduce you to a loaf of bread. That's what the book of Proverbs says. And some of you are messing around with women that are driving Wonder Bread trucks. Some of you get that on the drive home. What's the point? When you really want to do it's God's way, first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes the baby in the baby carriage. That's how it works out. But some of you heathen don't know how it works. But you need to know how it works because God wants you to do it his way. He wants you to do it the right way. So you're like, I don't understand what you're saying. That's what's happening here. The couples want to get married, but they bring the family involved. They get the mother. They get the father. They get the parents of the boy, the parents of the girls. And the parents sign this betrothal. It's a contract, and they explain the strengths and the weaknesses of their son and their daughter. I like it because here's Junior's weakness. Junior's weakness is he, he's lazy, and he doesn't get, he sleeps with the nightlight on. That's his weakness. Sarah's weakness is she's clingy and she doesn't know how to cook. So when they get married, you can say, Junior, he doesn't work. He's lazy. And then Junior says, she doesn't know how to cook. And they say, oh, no, my mama told you about me. My mama said that I have problem with working. See, some of you hook up with people online, and you see this person online. They're they're six three. They're tall, dark, and handsome. They online. They look like they're all buffed and good. You see them in person. They're like four foot two. Bald, pale. You see this lady. She's all online. It looks like all that. And you, I'm not going to go there, but you get my point. But the parents come together in this. This is so important because there's no such thing as getting married and saying, well, I didn't know about the person. No, no. We, we know about each other. During this year time that I'm sharing with you, the boy lived with his parents. The girl lived with her parents. And everywhere they went, they were escorted by someone in the family. I like that as a dad with girls. My girls are now 15 and 11. You wonder why I keep working out? You wonder why I keep guns cocked and loaded? You wonder why I keep doing feats of strength? Because when that boy wants to date my daughter, the first thing I'm going to do is bring him to the house and show him my gun collection. And then I'm going to take a license plate off his car, and I'm going to rip it in half, and I'm going to say, if you don't have her home by 5 o'clock, what happened to this license plate is going to happen to you. It will be the shortest date in human history. You say, what does that have to do with Mary? Nothing. It started would be a fun interlude. But think about this. The only release from a betrothal, this contract that I share with you, is an act of immorality, an act of fornication in which the offended party would bring the accusation to the high priest, they would perform an examination, and they would cast the first stone and kill the offender. Broken engagements in those days meant with somebody in the graveyard. Christ's birth happened during the year of betrothal between Joseph and Mary. We just read that together. Now with all these historical facts mixed in with my awesome humor, I want you to look at the Bible evidence that Jesus Christ was pure, that he was holy, that he was born of a virgin, that he is the son of God and the soon returning king and Messiah. So let's for a moment, in the next few minutes we have together, let's look at some psychological evidence that Mary's reaction to the birth of Christ. Mary knew the law of Moses. Mary knew that. All all Hebrews know the law of Moses. If a virgin was espoused spouse to a man is to be found with child, he shall denounce her before the council, and they shall stone her with stones until she dies. Thus shall put out the sin from among the people. That's in your Bible in the Old Testament. So the pattern of action would go like this. Joseph would denounce Mary before the council. The high priest would come and examine, be kind of like the judge and the and the lawyer, find out what's happening. If he would come to the place where this has indeed happened, it It's it's, this not good. He would confirm that she indeed was pregnant. Joseph would then throw the first stone and the rest of the community would join in and stone the guilted party until they were dead. There was no exceptions. There's no slick lawyers to get them out. Now apply this to Mary. She knows the law of Moses. She knows she's pregnant from the angel of God. The angel of God came in and said, you're going to have a child and you're going to have a child right now. She knows she's only betrothed. So what would have been a natural reaction to a guilty woman? Fear, mind boggling fear. Death was an absolute certainty. Shame, sorrow, regret, there would have been trying to find a place of kind of hiding out, a place of trying to secure herself so she doesn't die. Seclusion would have been her greatest desire. So what did Mary do? She went straight to the house of Elizabeth, walked in the door and said, I'm going to have a baby. Think about that. Telegraph, telephone, tell a woman. It goes to the ends of the earth. It's true. But there's something interesting that happens when Mary goes into the house of Elizabeth. Elizabeth is six months pregnant, and the Bible says the baby leaped inside of her and was filled with the Holy Spirit. See, sometimes when you get around like-minded people, spiritually-minded people, what's in you that's birthed from the Holy Spirit will come alive and ignite on the inside. See, some of you hang around with the wrong people. You dare to soar with eagles when you're hanging around with turkeys. Some of you are going with the wrong people. You need to get around people that when you start sharing your hopes, Your dreams, what you want to do in business, what you want to do in the family, what you want to do in your life. When you start sharing what God's put in your heart, something in them is going to leap. That baby that God's birthed is going to come alive, and it's not going to be a stillborn. It's going to be alive and well. Some of you are dealing with people a part of your history and not a part of your destiny. Let go of the people from your past and get around people that will ignite the baby that's birthed inside of you. Some people let God birth something in on the inside of them and they get around negative people. They get around wrong people, not like-minded people and it takes stillborn what God has birthed inside of them. And I'm telling you, get around people, that baby leaps on the inside. You get around me and what's in me will get on you and it'll stir the gift within you and it'll either repel you or it'll attract you because it's the Spirit of God. And if you don't have the Spirit of God, it'll probably repel you. But if you've got the Spirit to God, you'll say, give me more, give me more, see more, give me more. I think there's something so important about this moment because the Bible says she stayed there for months. Why is that important? Because she's at the house of the high priest. Zechariah is the high priest of Israel. Elizabeth is his wife. If she was guilty or fearful, the last place she would have went is to the house of the high priest. The one who would have examined her, found her to be a child, gave Joseph the first stone and she would have been killed instantly in front of the whole community of people there hiding out. She's not hiding out. What's the point? A guilty and a pure conscience, a guilty conscience wouldn't have done it. A pure conscience would have. A clean conscience, a pure heart ran to the house where the dream was already birthed, ran to the house believing for the miracle, knowing that they received a miracle with joy to the house of the high priest to announce her pregnancy and to announce that God was being birthed. Something miracle, something like a miracle was happening. Think about it. A woman carrying God in her body just think about that for a moment a woman carrying God in her body she was carrying the baby that was going to crush the head of Satan She was carrying the baby that was going to be a lion of the tribe of Judah. She was carrying the baby that was going to be a light unto a Gentile lost world. She was carrying the baby that would be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. She was carrying the baby in the future. They were going to come before His throne and every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that He is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. She's carrying the only true God, the One who's mighty in battle, the One who said, I am He. That is dead and alive forevermore. She's carrying the one who says, you come to me and I'll give you rest. She's carrying the son of the living God. Does anybody have that on the inside of them? I think there's something so important about being around creative atmospheres of miracles where God begins to burst something in you. Why do I make it an effort? Get, get all the students, adults from the city center over to the church because that's a bridge, but that's not enough. They've got to get over so miracles can begin to be birthed in them, so they can realize they're overcomers. They've got, you've got to get around like-minded people that pour into you destiny and not your history. You've got to get around you people that are going to spur you along to dream bigger, start a business, start another business, do something more for the kingdom of God. Well, Joey, I can never do that. If you can't, you won't. Joey, I don't have, you're just trying to get our hopes up. You can't have faith if you don't have hope. I'm trying to get your faith up. I'm trying to get you to believe the God of miracles. Now consider this historical evidence. If you don't think in these terms, think in biblical terms. Jesus was indeed the virgin born son of God. Remember the law of Moses? The law of Moses is the law of God given to Moses. It's not Moses's law, it's God's law. And in God's law, to the Jewish people, not to the Gentiles, but to the Jewish people, an illegitimate child, in the book of Deuteronomy 23, an illegitimate child couldn't even enter into the synagogue for worship. It tells us that it takes 10 generations, 500 years to purify a bloodline of an illegitimate child. But the offspring of an illegitimate child could by never any circumstances whatsoever enter into the synagogue. So what's the point? Jesus is called in the scriptures, our great teacher. He's called in the scripture, in the book of Hebrews, our high priest. The Bible says he stood in the synagogue and spoke as one with authority. If he was illegitimate, he couldn't even enter into the synagogue. And who wrote the book of Hebrews? You say, well, we don't really know the author. God is the author. God wrote the book of Hebrews. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instructions in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God wrote that book. So the Holy Spirit made a grave error by saying he is our high priest. He is our great teacher if he's not pure and the son of God. And the Holy Spirit is God, by the way. So therefore, we must mark out every word in Matthew. we got to take out every word in the book of Mark, in the book of Luke, in the book of John. we got to scratch out of the book of Revelation where he says, I am he that was dead, but behold, I'm alive forevermore. So I ask you, who's right here? God, the Holy Spirit? Or some brain-dead person teaching there's no virgin birth? Who do you believe, the ACLU or Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? I believe the word of God is true. I believe he is the son of God. I believe he is who he said he is. I believe he's the virgin born of the living God. I believe, I believe, I believe. Do you believe today? I know you do. The Bible tells us that Mary and Joseph brought Jesus into the temple on the eighth day to circumcise him. And when he was brought before the high priest at that time, the Bible tells us as he was in there, he couldn't have been in there, by the way, if he was illegitimate. But as he was in there, Simeon, the high priest at the time, took Jesus in his arms. This is in your Bible. And he, you can read it he—it's in all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, not just one. It's in all of them. And he looked up into the heavens. And the scriptures tell us that he says, my eyes have seen thy salvation. The Bible says he blessed Mary. He blessed Joseph. And he said Jesus was going to be a light to the Gentiles and a blessing to Israel. Understand the Gentiles are uh, non-Jewish people. You and I, if we're not Jewish, we're called Gentiles in the scripture. We didn't have hope. We didn't have the Word of God. The Jews have had it for 4,000 years, and we didn't have it. So it would have been a grave error on the part of the Holy Spirit if Christ was not born of a virgin, if Christ was not born in Bethlehem, if Christ was not born by the will of God, if Christ was not pure. The Holy Spirit made a great mistake when he spoke through Simeon, saying, My eyes have seen thy salvation. But it was no mistake. He was and is and always shall be the Son of God. You know, the Scriptures tell us, that there's an important thing in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 22, that many people have never heard this verse of scripture, but it says a woman shall compass a man. A woman shall compass a man. You say, well, what does that mean? That, That means a woman is gonna give birth to a child and that doesn't know a man. That's what it's saying. A woman shall compass a man. That means if you're, the miracle of God is there. That woman was Mary. That child is Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. The hope of glory, the incarnate word. Now let's consider in closing the next three minutes. Can you hang with me? You're stuck anyway. Let's consider Mary's response at the cross. Mary had heard that the Romans had arrested her son. The Bible says she ran to the courts in time to see her son receive mock justice. Mock justice, Pilate said, we found no fault in this man, and he washed his hands of him. And by Roman law, Jesus should have been instantly acquitted. But because Pilate was a politician, not looking for truth, but looking to appease the people, he turned Jesus over to be murdered by these fanatics. That's why the story of Jesus, the story of Mary, the story of Joseph is not meant to fuel people's political message on immigration, refugees or climate change, but it's sent to save your soul. This is not about political, it's about spiritual. And that's important because she watched her Roman the Roman soldiers tie her son's hands to a whipping post. She heard the cat of nine tails whistle through the air 39 times, yanking flesh from the bone off his back, watching the blood draw off his back, watching him look like an animal that had been slaughtered. Mary, the mother of Jesus, saw that. Mary saw the spittle in his face. She saw the crown of thorns with those long Judean thorns being crushed down his head, the blood coursing down his face, around his cheeks, looking like an unrecognizable animal. She saw that. She heard the mob laugh and scream, crucify him, free Barabbas, but crucify him. She saw the place of the old rugged cross. She saw that cross being placed upon his back as he staggers beneath the weight of the cross on his way to Calvary. He falls because of the weight. His hands are extended toward his mother asking for help. She walks behind her son sobbing, seeing the trail of blood And the place called Calvary, she's there. As she's at Calvary, she hears the hammer drive the nails into the hands and to her son's feet. She hears the sobs of agony coming from the mouth of her son. She hears the streaks of pain as he's lifted on the cross. The cross is dropped on into the earth. The Lamb of God is suspended between the only throne he would know on this earth. He's there. The emotions of a broken hearted mother remembering the day in Bethlehem's manger, giving birth to her son. She remembered feeding him. She remembered holding him. She remembered him taking his first step. She remembered his first words. She remembered the day of his bar mitzvah where he said, I must be about my father's business. So here's the question. Why is the Roman government treating her son like this? Here's the answer. You have to catch this in the gospel. The Bible records it out of the mouth of Caiaphas. This is in your Bible, the high priest. He says, quote, we have a law. And in this law, he ought to die. Because being a man, he said he was the son of God. That's the catch. Being a man, he said he was the son of God. All Mary would have had to do to save her son's life is say he's not the son of God. As a matter of fact, he was conceived in a night of sin between Joseph and myself. He's not divine. He's not holy. He's not pure. Take him down. But she could not. Her broken heart sobbed, tears dripped off her face into the sands of Calvary, into the darkest hour of her life, the greatest grief she would ever know. She's literally sobbing as she's seeing her son die. She could not deny the man on that middle cross was in fact the son of God conceived by the Holy Spirit. The blood that was dripping from his brow, that was dripping from his hands, that was coming from his side, that was flowing down his back, was paying a debt he did not owe because you and I owed a debt we could never pay. Jesus was and is and always will be the Son of the living God.